0: welcome. We're glad to see all of you today. Everybody happy and doing well? Good, good. And I'm glad to welcome those who are worshiping with us online today. We want you to feel at home as well. Now today we're going to be talking about blueprints for a church. Have you ever built a church? Some of you in here were involved in a church, weren't you? This church, Woodlawn, started in 1957 in the Woodlawn subdivision on the beach. But in 2002 it relocated to this location and many of you were probably involved in building this particular building. I asked him at 8:30 how many of you built the uh, ni- 1957 campus over there. Nobody was there to so say they built it. What did you build it Eddie? Were you there? Did you were you a part of that? See cuz I was born in 57, but you're a little bit older than me, aren't you? <laughs> Yeah, see, maybe Eddie built it. Who knows? It could have happened that way. But you know, families came in. It was across from the Navy base. They had their own little shopping area, and that was about it for the beach. And so they could walk to church together. And you know, that church grew there. but, But then they said, God's called us to do something new. And so in 2002, it came out here and began to really grow, and we're grateful for it. So you have built a church. What does a church look like? What does it contain? God is interesting in building things that will last. He's given us a blueprint for his church. Now, God's church doesn't have brick and mortar, okay? It's different. It involves people. In 1 Corinthians, it says, For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. It goes on and says, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? So we're God's building. We're his temple. You know, your te- your body is a temple of God, and his spirit lives in us when we become Christians. The Holy Spirit moves in with us. And God is always looking for transformed followers of Jesus Christ. You see, when two or more gather in his name, we become the church for his glory and for the good of the community. And the church is not the building, right? Almost got an amen. Somebody said, right, that was good. But but the church is not the building, it's the people, remember? What did we learn when we were kids? Here's the church. Come on, y'all learned this. Here's the church, do it. Here's the steeple. Open the door. See all the people, that's right. The church is the, it's not the building, it's the people. And so it's only as effective as the people are. Now over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at blueprints for the discipleship of how to build a better church. And so better disciples build better churches. Strong disciples make strong churches. And we're going to look at the marks of a transformed follower of Christ. Now, here they are. Okay, you Ready? They are faith-filled, big-thinking, risk-takers. Do you have that written down there on your outline? Do you have an outline? (laughs) How many of you are in the room today? Just let me know. Nod your heads, okay? Faith-filled, big-thinking, risk-takers. And I want to start out by telling you two stories about Jesus this morning. Now, Jesus had a response to two different kinds of things going on. They were totally opposite of one another. The first story is when Jesus goes to his hometown, and he tells the people there that he is the Messiah. And the people of his hometown, instead of celebrating, they get offended. And they say, who does he think he is? He's just Joseph's son. He's just the carpenter's son. Who does he think he is? And and Jesus was amazed by something there in Mark's gospel. It says that Jesus could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Now, I want to stop right there for a minute and talk about that. Have you ever noticed that there's always people who will hold you back? You grow up in a hometown, and there's people there that know you, and they don't think you can ever get beyond who you are right now, and they'll always see you that way. They'll pigeonhole you that way. You'll move into the future. You're a totally different person, but they still see you like that. Or maybe it's your family. Maybe the family says who you are, and in the family dynamic, that's who you're destined to be for the rest of your life, even though you've changed. Or maybe it's your peers, people that you work with, and and they look at you, and they say, well, you can't ever be any more than you are right now, and they'll hold you back because why do people do that? Because they feel threatened by your growth. And so when you grow, it makes them feel like they're not growing, and they're probably not, and so it makes them insecure. And so all of us need to grow in the Lord. And so then what happened after that was the second story was in Luke's gospel. And there was a centurion who had a sick servant. And he said to some of the elders of the Jews, he sent some Jewish people to Jesus so that his his friend, his, his servant, might be healed because his servant was very sick. And he said, go to Jesus and say this, Jesus, can you help his servant? That's what he said. He said, you go tell him, you go share. And as Jesus was coming to help the man's servant, Then he sent out some friends of Jesus to also speak to him. And here's what he says, and this is amazing to me. He said, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I did not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But you say the word, and my servant will be healed. Now, this is a Roman centurion. This is a guy who has people that he's in charge of. They're not known for their humility. They're known for being proud. I mean, they've accomplished something. There's somebody. They have to have a lot of confidence. But he's got a sick servant, and he cares about that servant, and he wants Jesus to come. And he says, you know, I'm not even worthy for you to come into my house. Do you see that spirit there and that attitude? He goes on. He says, listen, I know you can do it. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one to go, and he goes. I tell this one to come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. And then he says, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Now, you see the difference in those two people? One of them, Jesus is amazed by their lack of faith. These are the people he grew up with. And the other one's a Roman centurion. And he's amazed by this guy's faith and humility. And he looks at him. Now, now think about this for a minute. How hard would it be to amaze Jesus? Do you ever think about that? I mean, Jesus is the Son of God. He is God. God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So how could you amaze him? But they did. And so let me ask you a question. Have you ever amazed Jesus? Have you ever amazed him by your lack of faith? Or have you ever amazed him by your great faith? Wouldn't that be neat? Today to just go out and do something with great faith and Jesus to say, I am amazed by what you did. If Jesus looked at your faith level, would he say how bold you are? or about the lack you have. So there's a scale there on your outline, 1 to 10. I want you to take it and fill it out. And I want you to to rank yourself in faith somewhere between 1, the lowest, and 10 being the highest. Now, in order for you to do this accurately, I want you to think about the great faith steps you took this past week. What kind of things did you do this past week that you could not possibly do without the help of God? And if you stepped out on faith and did something he was calling you to do, and you were scared to death, but you did it, you might rank up there pretty high. But if he called you and you just said, no, send, send my brother. I'm Moses. I, I'm a Methodist. I got excuses. I, I got excuses. My brother doesn't stutter. Send him. Then you might be further down on the scale. You think about it? Now, to attempt something bold. If God wasn't there and didn't do it, you know, then you couldn't possibly accomplish it. So you have to decide. Think about your prayer life. Where would you be on the scale with your prayer life? Did you pray? If God answered every single one of your prayers that you prayed this week with a yes, what difference would it make in the world? For some of you, here's what you're going to say. Hey, there were a lot of people healed of cancer. I prayed for a lot of I prayed for that baby to be placed in adoption with that family, and it happened. My life group, we had a relationship healed because we prayed about that. And because you were praying great prayers, those things happened. But some of you, you might have said, well, I said the blessing before I ate, and we made it to grandma's okay because we prayed for safety as we were trying. That was about it. Now, for some people, it wouldn't be anything different because you didn't pray any prayers this past week. The week just flew by and you forgot to pray. Would God be amazed at your great faith, or would he be blown away by your lack of faith? I believe that God is calling us to be faith-filled, big-thinking, risk-takers. And in order to inspire us, I want us to look at three faith-filled facts. First, God is looking for audacious faith. Audacious faith, that's number one. Now, what is audacious faith? Well, audacious means bold. It means daring. It means I'm going to do stuff that's outside of my comfort level. It's stuff that God is calling me to step out and do. And you cannot play it safe and please God. Because in Hebrews 11 it says, And without faith it is impossible to please God. And I want you to think about this. Think about it be honest with yourself. If you can do everything that you do every week by yourself and you don't need God's help to do it, then are you really exhibiting any faith? If you're not doing anything that you've got to have God's help with or you couldn't possibly achieve it, then are you doing anything bold and daring? Because that's what he calls us to do. And if you don't have faith, you can't please God. Now, here's what we do a lot of times. Have you noticed? We'll do the same thing we've always done because that's what we've done, and we're, we're slow to change. Look at the person next to you. Get your finger ready. Point at them and say, you are slow to change. Go ahead and tell them that right now. Don't elaborate. Just tell them that one thing that I mentioned there, okay? And some of you enjoyed that way too much. I'm just saying, okay? Okay? Because if you always do what you've always done, then you'll always get what you've always gotten. So you've got to be willing to change if you're not getting the results you want. The challenge is that people think if you have great faith, you don't ever have any doubt. But that's not true. You know, people who have great faith, they have doubts just like everybody else. There are moments when you've got great faith. There are moments when you're overwhelmed by doubt. Some of you feel like, yep, God really spoke to me. I know what I'm supposed to do. I'm headed out the door. And other times you're thinking, I'm not so sure. I don't know. I don't know. Is that God or not? I'm, let me sit here and figure it out. I got. Okay. One of the greatest examples of this is Peter. What happens is Jesus comes walking on the water to the disciples. Now, that'll get your attention. You're in the boat. You can't walk on Anybody here walk on water? Some, some folks are raising hands as proxy for the first husband they were married to, right? now. <laughs> Okay, no, you can't do it. So what happens is Peter gets so excited. He said, well, let me get out there and walk on the water. I want to try it. And he steps out of the boat, and he starts walking on the water. And he's so excited. He's looking at Jesus. And then this big wave comes up, and the wind starts blowing, and he's looking around. And all of a sudden, he takes his eyes off Jesus, and he begins to sink. And Jesus just reaches out and pulls him back up. And he's on the water again, right? And we always get on to Peter. What do we say? Well, Peter didn't have any faith. He walked on the water, but then when it came tough, he just looked down, got lost, started sinking. (laughs) Jesus pulled him back out. What about the 11 guys still in the boat? There's 11 guys still in the boat, didn't even try. They're still sitting back. They're going, this could be dangerous. You go first, okay? And that's the way they're looking at it. But, you know, often what happens is that our fear of failure keeps us from stepping out on faith. Because people think... Failing means missing God. But you know what? Peter wasn't missing God. He just failed, but he didn't quit. He kept going. And later on, what did he become? He became a powerful disciple of God. He, he became a man who shared faith with people. And he was bold and courageous. I've discovered that failing is the first step to discovering God. When you fail, what do you do? Jesus help me. See, when you fail, you got to depend on God, right? And God pulls you back up, and then that makes you closer, doesn't it? So what's going to happen? Well, if I get out of the boat, I don't know. I've never walked on the water before, but I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to step out and find out. Some of you are playing it safe, and you can't play it safe and please God. If you're not failing, then you're playing it too safe. Without faith, it is what? Impossible to please God. God, would he be amazed at your great faith or amazed at your lack of faith? Now, the second thing is the auspicious faith. Auspicious means hopeful. It means encouraging. Are you encouraging in your faith? As long as you have a guarantee, you don't have to have faith. See, all of us want a guarantee in life. Lord, if you'll just do this and I know it's there, then I can go do this because I know you'll take care of it. Hebrews says, faith is the confidence That what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. And so the problem for many of us is we just want that guarantee. Now let me give you an example of this. Maybe you can relate. When I was in fifth grade, we would go with girls. You know what I'm talking about? We would go with them. You ask somebody, would you go with me? Now it was an unusual request because you never went anywhere together. You just got together and you made that declaration and she said yes or no, but you didn't want to be just hanging out there in the breeze, right? So what you would do is you would write a note, dear so-and-so, if I were to ask you if you would go with me, would you go with me? Check yes or no. And then because you're a real chicken, you give it to her friend to give to her so that she can find out, and then she can check it and send it back through the friend, probably to your friend, and then you finally get it, and he opens it for you, and you look at it, yes or no, right? I did that in the fifth grade. Anybody do that in the, yeah, yeah, I did that. I asked this girl, to in fact, the whole class got involved in this. I don't know how this happened, but the whole class got involved before school was out one day. I had a ring, and I, and I, I said, well, uh, you know, I started thinking about it, and this guy said, well, if so-and-so likes you, you ought to ask her to go with you, and I said... Well, how do you do that? And he said, well, you, you got a ring or something? Yeah, I got a ring. Well, he said, that's a big ring. He said, here, I got a chain. Put that ring on this chain, and then you can put it around her neck after school if she'll go with you, okay? But you got to write her a note first. I do? Yeah. What does the note say? Well, okay, he filled me in. So then by this time, everybody in the class knows about it. Everybody's waiting. So then we go outside because we had a door out of our room. And we went up these steps. We're out there on the, the pavement out there, and, and there she is. And, and there's a circle around us now, because everybody wants to know we're we going together. And so I, I've asked her, and she says yes, and so I take out the chain with the ring and I put it around her neck, and then she goes home and I go home. <laughs> and, and the next day she brings it back to me and gives it back, and we went together. It was brief. But, but it was meaningful. It was. It was right here from the heart. I'm telling you. See, I had a lot of first dates. I, that's a, another story about me. It was hard getting that second date from me. I, you know, one time was enough. In fact, sometimes right in the middle of the date, okay, I'm done. Call me somebody so I can get out of here. So, but we were going together. We never went anywhere. You wouldn't even go to recess with each other, but you were going together. Well, I, I want to say to you that bo- But the reality is that when we're dealing with God, We're asking, God, I think you're asking me to do this. Are you really asking me to do this? And that's the kind of conversation that we have to have. Now, listen, you can have faith and control, but you can't have both at the same time, right? Sometimes you just got to say, Lord, I think you're calling me to do this, so I'm just going to forge ahead. If you want to close the door, you do it. Now, the third thing, authentic faith. We want authentic faith. Authentic faith is genuine. It's real. To step toward his destiny, you have to step away from your security. Now, that'll preach right there because we've all got things that keep us secure, don't we? And, And we have to give those things up sometimes. That's exactly what Abraham did in the Old Testament, and it refers to it in the New Testament in Hebrews 11. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went even though he did not know where He was going. Now, isn't that powerful? God says, I want you to get up and go. Where am I going? Well, I'll let you know when you get there. Just start going, okay? Isn't that what you want to do? No map, no GPS, no plan. I'm just heading out. Here I go because God called me to go, and I don't know where I'm going to end up, but that's what he's asking me to do. And even though he didn't have a clue, what did he do? He took that first step. He started walking. And he walked, and he didn't know, but that's what God was asking him to do. When you take that step, you keep your eyes focused on the author and perfecter of your faith. And by his power, you walk by faith. Great faith pleases God. Now, would your God be amazed at your faith? Or would he be amazed by the lack of your faith? How will that play out in your lives? Sometimes it's individually. Sometimes I personally, individually, have to make a decision about what I'm going to do. What is God calling me to do? And I have to step out on faith and do it. Sometimes it's a church decision where the church together has to discern God's will and say, okay, now this is scary. It's out of my comfort zone. But I'm going to step out on faith and I'm going to do it because I think that's what God is calling us to do. And so you do it, and he speaks to you, and you take a step on faith. As a follower of Jesus, you may share faith with someone who doesn't know Christ. That's kind of scary, isn't it, if you've never done that before? And yet, you know, you don't know if they're going to respond positively. But that's what you're called to do. You know, here's what I want you to understand. God says that we're called to be faithful and obedient. Nowhere in the Bible does he say that we're called to be successful, right? Because he's in charge of the results. Doesn't that take the pressure off of you? I can witness to somebody. I don't have to get them in a headlock, hold them down, until they say, Uncle, I become a Christian. You just share your faith, and then you trust God for the results. Now, we got any gardeners in here? Anybody grow anything? Okay, good. Yeah. Well, now, when you grow that, do you make it come up out of the ground? You water it. You fertilize it, you feed it, you pray over it, you look at it, you hope it gets plenty of sunshine. You can sing to it if you want to, but God is the only one who can make it come up out of the ground. That's the truth, isn't it? That's an amen right there. That's true, yeah. And so you don't have to be responsible for the results. You just trust him, and you do what he calls you to do. Some of you are going to step out on faith, and you're going to do something you've never done before. You're going to tithe for the first time in your life. And you're going to do something that does not make any rational sense whatsoever. The first 10% of all God gives you, you're going to give back to the church so that he can use that for his work, and you're going to see him provide for you. By the way, does God make you do that because he's broke? God had plenty of money set back, but then the recession came. He thought he had enough. Thought he had enough, but, you know, everything, everything's going up. You know how everything's going up. And so he's worried. He's up there wringing his hands in heaven. Come on, give, give. What's wrong with you? He doesn't do that. No, he does it so that we learn to trust him. That's why he did. It's an exercise in faith. And when we do that, we grow in our faith. That's the only reason. So don't let that be a hang-up for you. Some of you are going to step out, and you're going to start a life group. You don't even know if you can start a life group. You've never done that before. It's scary. You've never even considered, but that's what you feel called to do. So are they going to come? I don't know, but I'm going to try it. Some of you are going to sit back later and say, man, I'm so glad I did that. What a blessing. Some of you are going to be involved with the Woodlawn Youth. You're going to volunteer to work with the youth group. You're saying, he's not talking to me right now. Yeah, because you know what you're going to say? I'm not cool enough to work with the youth. You're absolutely right. I'm looking at you. You're not cool enough. Let me just tell you. But it doesn't matter because you'll never be cool enough for youth. But if you care about them, that's what matters. When you go in there and care about them and they know that you care about them, then you got them. Then they're focused on you, and you can have a relationship, grow with them, and it can be a blessing. Some of you are going to get involved with the woodlawn children's ministry here and you didn't know you could even do that but you're going to feel called to do it and you're going to wake up and be grateful for it some of you are going to start your own business you know God's calling you to do it you've been thinking about it for a long time now you're going to step out on faith and do it some of you, you know you're supposed to write a book and you've been thinking about it and praying about it and God's been calling you to do it and you just hadn't got, are people going to buy it? I don't know only way to find out, sit down and write the book and see, get it out there some of you, you know, you're going to do something like with a new ministry inside. I had a woman call me one time. She said, I'm going to feed children in the summer because they're not in school. And if they live in the projects, they don't eat. And so I'm going to do it. And the church can help if they want to. And if they don't help, I'm going to do it anyway. That lady, she was on a mission. God had called her to do it. She did it. It was, And, and then a lot of us got together from not just our church but other churches. And we got all that stuff together and we fed them every week in the summer. <clears throat> and we were blessed by them. We told the children when we got there, you memorize this Bible verse, next week when we come, we'll give you a surprise. Well, oh, man, we pulled up next week, they'd sling that door open, they'd start saying that Bible verse, we're not out of the car yet, we can't hear you yet, hang on just a minute, you're going to get your surprise. Now, what does it mean to grow when we see the church just step out in faith? Years ago, I was leading a men's Bible study, and a man asked me, I talked about Jesus being a risk taker, and a man asked me, Why do you say Jesus was a risk taker? I said, because he gave his life for me before I was even born with no guarantee that I would ever take advantage of it. He could die in vain. He took a risk on me. He took a risk on you. There was no guarantee that we would ever respond to what he had done for us, but he did it. Listen, would you die for the world? Would you do that? You know, because there's a chance that they're not going to respond, and you're just going to die in vain. I'd want a contract. They'd have to come sign up with me. I'd have to say, now, when you sign on the dotted line, we'll talk. And then I'd say I'd do it, but I wouldn't do it, would you? But Jesus did it, didn't he? He died for us. Jesus took a risk. The risk was huge. Now, if Jesus would take a risk like that for us, you think you could take a little risk for him? Because he calls us to be like him. And Jesus is a risk taker, isn't he? Now, Woodlawn, here's our discipleship process. I'm almost got this wrapped up, and I want you to look at it. Reach, connect, invest, launch. You see it? Reach. We want to reach people who are far from God. We want to reach out to them. Reach real people. These are real people living right here in Bay County. We want to reach out to them. And then we want to connect them with a real God. Real people... And a real God. We're not playing. This is real. We're not just talking about it, okay? We want to connect them. We want to help them get to know what God is like. We want to help them become Christians. Some of them come through Woodlong Way and they can accept Christ there. Some of them, you talk to them and share with them and through Bible study and other means, then they become Christians. And then we want to invest in them with real love. We want to get to know them. We want to be in a small group with them. We want to be real friends to them. We want them to know about the love of Christ. We want them to grow. We want disciples to grow, right? And then we want to launch out in real grace with ministries that reach other people, right? So, look, here's what happens. If I go and I I reach one person for God and I go through that circle with them and then they're ready, then I launch them back out and I say, now you go reach another person. And every time that circle goes around, it gets bigger and bigger because more of you, are reaching out to accomplish what we're trying to do here. And so more people are responding to it. Reach, connect, invest, launch. Reach, connect, invest, launch. And it just gets bigger and bigger because disciples make what? Widgets, right? Disciples make disciples. That's right. That's what the Bible said. That's why Jesus had 12. He said, now you go out and you make disciples. In my name, right? Now, if you read the Great Commission in Matthew 28, it does not say, Joe, since you're the preacher, you go make disciples of everybody, right? It says, you go. Everybody, we're all supposed to go. Now, listen. Just so you know, I'm not telling you to do something I don't do. I'm just going to just tell you about something today. Okay? You ready? You remember my satellite campus I tell you about sometime? Tom Thumb. And now I've been talking to a guy there and he's been watching our services online and I've been inviting him and he keeps telling me he's going to come. He's here today. He's here today. He he and his family came and he came and greeted me when I came in back there and they're here for the first, I'm not going to single them out. I'm not going to make them feel uncomfortable. They're here today and I'm just so thankful that they came today, right? Because disciples make disciples that's what we're supposed to be doing and you and i we can all participate in that god wants us to demonstrate our faith by our values now what does that mean it means that we're going to do god's purpose over our preference now what let us talk about that for just a minute God has a purpose for us. Now, sometimes folks say, I have a preference. I don't know. None of you would ever say this, but I have talked to people who have preferences, okay? And people tell me all the time, I like a small church. That's my preference. And I say, well, I tell you what, you show me where it says that's the thing we ought to have in the Bible, and I'll get on the bandwagon with you. But I don't see that anywhere. You know, well, I'm just intimidated by a large crowd. Well, let me ask you, what about all those folks out there that are going to hell right now? Well, they just have to go on to hell because it just intimidates me for them to all come in at the sanctuary at the same time, right? You see what I'm talking about? God's purpose is greater than our preference. It's not about our preference. It's about his purpose. Now, another value that we see is that God wants us to love others more than we do self. Sometimes you might have to give up your parking place out there in the church. Wait a minute. He's getting serious now. Sometimes you might have to give up your seat in church. Ooh, boy, wouldn't that just sacrifice convenience to save souls? Well, if you're going to bring God into it, okay, I guess it's all right now. But that's what I'm talking about. You see, we're looking at others before we're looking at ourselves. And then looking at the kingdom. We're not just trying to get folks to come here so we'll have more members. That's not why we... This is for the kingdom. This is eternal. We're trying to reach people for Christ that'll spend eternity with God. We don't want them to have a Christless eternity. So what are we? We're faith-filled, big thinking, risk-takers. Can you say that with me? Faith-filled... Big thinking, risk takers. One more time. Faith-filled, big thinking, risk takers. And we will never insult God with small thinking or safe living. Because God's building his church. But he needs disciples to do it. Are you going to join him in his project? We got three people going to join him in his project. Are you going to join him in his project? If you're going to join him, say amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we're just so grateful for an opportunity to learn your word, what you teach us and what you want us to know. Now, Lord, I pray that we would take it and apply it to our lives. I pray in your son's name. Amen.